Start your morning with the CNN Daily News Briefing. In just three minutes, we'll tell you about the stories that are making headlines around the world. To listen, tell your smart speaker to play the CNN Daily News Briefing or find us in your favorite podcast app. A good Friday evening to you. I'm Jim Shudo. We begin tonight with breaking news. CNN has learned that right now at least eight Secret Service agents are sequestered in a hotel in Phoenix, Arizona. Some are suffering from coronavirus symptoms. All have tested positive for the virus. Two people familiar with the matter tell CNN they were infected while preparing for Vice President Pence's visit to Phoenix on Wednesday. And as you know, as many as 15 agents became infected while preparing for the president's visits to Phoenix and Tulsa last month, both of which went against the guidelines of his own coronavirus task force. If that weren't enough tonight, the president is at it again. He is at Mount Rushmore in South Dakota to watch the fireworks along with thousands of other people at the invitation of a governor who has proudly declared, not admitted, but declared that there will be no social distancing at this event. And there isn't. People tonight will enter, be sitting in rows of chairs that have been zip-tied together or packed shoulder-to-shoulder -shoulder in bleachers. Mask-wearing is optional. So, just as he did in Phoenix and Tulsa, the president tonight will be flouting the guidelines of his administration's own task force on social distancing, on wearing masks, on avoiding unnecessary travel and large crowds. And because of the example he is setting, millions of Americans who trust and believe in him are, in effect, being encouraged to engage in the same risky behavior. Just to remind you, here's what Dr. Anthony Fauci told a Senate panel just this week. We've got to get that message out that we are all in this together. And if we are going to contain this, we've got to contain it together. Well, I assume that would mean that elected and community leaders need to model good public uh, health behavior and wear a mask. We recommend masks for everyone on the outside. Anyone who comes into contact in a crowded area, you should avoid crowds where possible. And when you're outside and not have the capability of maintaining distance, you should wear a mask at all times. It's simple advice, and it's easy. Fauci also warned we as a country could soon be seeing as many as 100,000 new cases a day. Already this week, the daily total surpassed 50,000. And as you can see there, the curve is climbing steeply. The CDC is now projecting nearly 148,000 deaths in this country three weeks from now. No place else on Earth, no place else on Earth has the kind of caseload and death toll that we do. Repeat, no country in the world currently rivals our own in the number of infections and deaths from coronavirus. It ought to be a wake-up call. Said the president remains in denial, tweeting overnight, there is a rise in coronavirus cases because our testing is so massive and so good, far bigger and better than any other country. Lots of falsehoods in there. Keeping them honest, that is not what the experts say. His own experts. There is no question that the more testing you get, the more you will uncover. But we do believe this is a real increase in cases because the percent positivities are going up. That's right. More people are testing positive means more people are infected. And that's the White House Task Force member, Admiral Brett Giroir, testifying this week. And the numbers behind his assessment do not lie. It's simple. 
testing has been increasing, though not everywhere. But regardless, the percentage of tests coming back positive has simply been skyrocketing. The nonprofit news outlet ProPublica, which uses the same Johns Hopkins data we do, came up with a powerful way of showing it. They charted the rolling percentage change in testing, in this case in Arizona, over the two-week period after Memorial Day. You can see it goes up. It does, 175 percent. So testing is increasing. But look at how much more steeply the positivity rate goes up, nearly 700 percent. In other words, the testing is rising, but infections are rising and way factor. That is, more people are getting infected. And in states that have gotten the virus under control, such as New York, take a look. Testing also goes up, but the positivity rate is going down. So no, these spikes we're seeing now have little to do with testing. You can't blame it on that. In states that don't have a handle on the outbreak, positivity rates are climbing. Again, that's more people getting infected at a faster rate, regardless of how much testing is being done. Let's take Florida. About 20% of tests, one in five, are now coming back positive. A similar percentage in South Carolina. And Arizona is now averaging about 30% positivity. Nearly one in three people being tested has been infected with this virus. By contrast, the rate in New York is hovering around 1%. And again, New York does a lot of testing. But the president is sticking to his false theory. But he's been doing, been pretty honest about his dislike for testing in general. We have so much testing. I don't think you need that kind of testing and that much testing. We've done more testing than every other country combined. So in a way, by doing all of this testing, we make ourselves look bad. I have always said testing is somewhat overrated. Something can happen between a test where it's good and then something happens and all of a sudden. This is why the whole concept of tests aren't necessarily great. You know where they do a lot of testing, by the way, in the White House around this president. A lot of testing. But he doesn't like it nationally, he says, because those national numbers make him look bad. Which makes you wonder why he isn't just as upset about the most important measure of all. The one that shows fatalities about to cross the 130,000 mark. With each new death a reflection of all the denial, the dishonesty, the failed national leadership leading up to it. Tonight, it is regrettable to say, but the President of the United States, in his words and his actions, is contributing to all of the above. Perspective now from two leading authorities, emergency room physician visiting professor at George Washington University and former Baltimore Health Commissioner Dr. Lena Wen and also CNN medical analyst Dr. Celine Gowner. She's an epidemiologist, infectious diseases specialist, and host of the Epidemic, Epidemic Podcast. In short, they know what they're talking about. They've done their homework, and that's why we have them on the air tonight. Dr. Gowner, if I could begin with you. Okay, perhaps as many as 7,500 people tonight, not socially distanced, not masks optional, all gathered to see the president amidst uh, a surging pandemic. From a purely medical standpoint, just how dangerous is it for people attending that event tonight? Yeah, Jim, you know, this is a man who once said he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot mm -hmm. somebody and he would never lose voters. Now he's asking essentially people to shoot themselves. This is on par with the Jonestown massacre, but on a national scale. He's essentially asking his supporters to drink the Kool-Aid, uh, jump off the cliff in a way that's very dangerous, yeah. except this is something that can spread to others. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Wen, uh, earlier this week, the Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Jerome Adams, he was 
encouraging people very much to wear a mask. This morning, though, he would not advise people to avoid large gatherings. You know him. He's a doctor. Why is he walking that line, violating what health experts say is necessary, health experts employed by this White House? Yeah, so I think that Dr. Adams is in a very tricky position. So he and I were health commissioners at the same time, and I know that he understands public health. I also imagine that he does not want to contradict the president and the vice president directly, just as Dr. Fauci, Dr. Brooks, and others are very careful to, to walk that line. But I think that at this point, we do, all of us in public health, have to speak with the voice of science and truth, which is that being outdoors is much better than being indoors. Wearing a mask will protect you at least fivefold. And also, this is not the time in the middle of a pandemic to be in a large crowd, in a mass gathering, that that is, as Dr. Gounder mentioned, that we know what the end result is going to be, which is many more people getting sick. Dr. Gounder, does that violate the oath to do no harm as a medical professional? not to speak i mean it's like telling someone with heart disease you know eat fatty foods it, i mean it, it directly violates the clear medical guidance why can't the surgeon general speak speak who cares if he contradicts the president well you know i think there's going to be a time when um dr adams maybe thinks back on his career and has regrets about that but i you know i do understand many of us are, can be in very difficult positions especially when we hold public office of some kind, we are accountable to our leaders. And I, I think he's really trying to walk that tightrope where he can continue to message the American public without yeah. losing his job. Well, goodness, the uh, American public would benefit from, benefit from some honesty here. Uh, Dr. Wen, explain where the country is now, and perhaps we could show this graph again, uh, as we see uh, the cases uh, peak and, and actually even rising above the peak uh, that they were at before uh, some effort was made nationally at, at mitigation here. What's happening? Is it accelerating? Are we reaching that point of exponential growth that many health experts have warned about? Yes, and you can see that very plainly on the graph, Jim, because you're seeing this line that's increasing exponentially mm -hmm. and without a peak in sight. And I really worry about this. I mean, the first time around, Americans made tremendous sacrifices. People lost their jobs, kids didn't go to school, and we imposed these really strict lockdown measures in order to rein in the infection. But we didn't go as far as we should have. We certainly don't have the testing, tracing, other public health infrastructure necessary to rein in this disease. And I think come this 4th of July, we have an option. Do we continue on the same path and see many more preventable deaths? Or do we say, it's time to hit reset, let's pause on reopening, let's yeah. reassess where we are, and let's impose many more restrictions that we need in order to save lives? You know, wa watching this event there in, in South Dakota as they prepare for the president, I mean, so many rules being broken, uh, just, just the lack of social distancing. Dr. Gounder, as a physician at a hospital in New York, you know, New York went through a, a real and complete lockdown and, and got from extremely high rates down to a level now uh, where it's under control. Are, are you concerned that as other states around the country go in the opposite direction, that that then will filter back to a place like New York? In, in other words, you can't really keep this sequestered in places around the country, can you? 
No, Jim, you can't. And so this very much puts our control of the virus very much in jeopardy. I think we are going to see reintroductions of coronavirus from elsewhere to New York City. And, you know, this is also why it's really important to have some of those measures that Dr. Wen mentioned in place. You need to have the testing, the contact tracing, the means to isolate people who are infectious so that they're not infecting the rest of their family and community. And New York actually does have those measures in place now, which means that we're better equipped to deal with that. But that said, this very much puts mm -hmm. us in a precarious position. Yeah. Dr. Wynn, you wrote in the Washington Post, uh, and I'm quoting here, at this point, most of us have come to terms with the re unfortunate reality that we will be living with COVID-19 for the foreseeable future. The best we can hope for is a slow burn that allows schools to resume and most of the economy to get back to business. You know, slow burn. Uh, Given where we're seeing the numbers go in states such as Arizona, Florida, and, and even a state like California, right, that, that, that addressed this very aggressively early on, then opened up, and they're seeing it kind of roar back here. I mean, is slow burn almost a, a, a best-case scenario at this point? Yes, we do have to come to terms with the fact that we are going to be living with COVID-19, that quarantine fatigue is real and that we can't keep people cooped up forever. So the best that we can hope for is a steady level of disease. But right now, that's not what we have. We have a forest fire and we need to put out this fire so that we don't have exponential spread all throughout our country. And there is a way for us to do that, but we have to start redefining our priorities. If our goal is to get schools to be open for in-person instruction yeah. in the fall, maybe we need to keep bars closed for the summer. Mm, yeah, that comparison, you know, let's worry about getting schools ready, not bars uh, now. D D Dr. Gounder, and that's a, that's a point, frankly, that the Texas governor, uh, Greg Abbott, made as he did come around to imposing uh, almost uh, a statewide uh, mask requirement say I mean he said what, what health experts have been saying for months now which is you can't have su a sustainable economic recovery if you don't get the outbreak under control because if people are getting sick and if people are afraid of getting sick they're not going to go to businesses etc I mean I explain that false choice if you can uh, between uh, the economy and health I mean the, the two go hand in hand do they not well, even Goldman Sachs has come out and said that wearing a mask is one of the most important things we can do for our economic recovery at this point. You know, we have seen yeah. that masks dramatically reduce transmission. And so if what we care about is economic recovery, wear a mask. Yeah. Well, and we're watching an event there in South Dakota, getting ready. Lots of folks in the crowd not wearing a mask. The president himself has not been wearing one either in public. Dr. Wen, Dr. Gounder, thanks so much to both of you. Just ahead this hour, the other fear about tonight's fireworks show at Mount Rushmore, it has to do with embers, real ones, not of coronavirus, as the vice president likes to say, but real embers and the real threat of wildfire. And next, the situation in Florida where the virus is really raging out of control now, plus breaking news on the legendary NASCAR driver who has just tested positive for COVID-19. That and more when 360 continues. America's getting back to work. In this new economy, your business needs every advantage to succeed. You need to be smart. And smart companies run on the world's number one cloud business system, NetSuite by Oracle. With NetSuite, you'll have visibility and control over every part of your business, your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. It's everything you need, all in one place. Whether you're doing a million in sales or hundreds of millions, NetSuite lets you expertly keep track of every penny. It gives you the agility to compete with anyone, work from anywhere, 
and run your whole company right from your phone. Over 20,000 companies trust NetSuite to make it happen. Make yours one of them. Learn more by visiting netsuite.com slash ac360. From there, you can schedule a tour of NetSuite and get their free guide, Seven Actions Businesses Need to Take Now. It's chock full of the top strategies executives are using as America reopens for business. Get your free guide and product tour now at netsuite.com slash ac360. We have more news tonight. Seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson has tested positive for coronavirus. Johnson, who has never missed a cup race in his career, will miss Sunday's event at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, which used to be called the Brickyard 400. It is now named the Big Machine Hand Sanitizer 400, a sign of the times. Meanwhile, in Florida, unlike Indiana, COVID cases are skyrocketing and yesterday crossed the 10,000 per day mark. CNN's Randy Kay joins us now from Palm Beach County with the latest. Randy, I mean, things uh, bad down there, frankly. I mean, Florida with rates and cases, you know, bigger than some countries. Uh, why is this happening and what's being done about it? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty bad situation here, Jim. 9,488 cases reported today. That is slightly down, as you said, from the more than 10,000 cases yesterday, but still uh, not great news for Florida. Florida is now averaging more COVID-19 cases uh, per day than any other state. In fact, the daily case count here is just below what New York was at its height uh, most days. So that's certainly not good news for Florida. And it's young people who are mostly being affected. The median age now, 37 years old. It was 60. 25 to 34 year olds making up 20 percent of the cases here in Florida, including 7,000 minors here in Florida now testing positive, including an 11 year old boy. He's the youngest uh, person in the state of Florida, Jim, to die from coronavirus, 11 years old from Miami Dade. Uh, the Tampa Bay Times is reporting that he was severely compromised um, but, and going to dialysis, but unclear how he caught the virus. But uh, coming up this weekend, still, despite all of that, there is still no statewide beach closure uh, mandate in place. The governor uh, has chosen not to do that, so many counties are doing it on their own. Uh, but Jacksonville Beach will open. It will remain open. The mayor there is saying that uh, it was the bars, not the beaches, that caused the spike in cases. But here in Palm Beach County, where I am, and Broward and Miami-Dade, south of me, uh, about 60 percent of the cases statewide were in those three counties. So they will okay. all close their beaches. But the problem is, Jim, there's no uniform mandate. So one person go to the next county, pick up the virus possibly, and bring it back. Uh, we saw the Texas governor come around on a statewide mask requirement. Ron DeSantis in Florida not going there yet. No, certainly not, although many are calling for it, including uh, the mayor of Miami and um, also uh, Palm Beach County, where I am, and Broward and Miami-Dade. They've all put it in place on their own. They have a mask mandate in the counties. Um, and there are, here in Palm Beach County, there are people that are so upset about it, in fact, that four people are suing Palm Beach County. They say it's an infringement on their liberty and their constitutional rights. And they also say, Jim, that uh, a mask does nothing to stop the spread of COVID-19, which we know is not yeah. true. But I called the mayor of Palm Beach County, and he told me that uh, he absolutely has the authority to put this in place, and he believes it is the right policy in this time of emergency, Jim. Listen, we wear seatbelts, right? And of course, the difference is with the mask, not only do you endanger yourself, you endanger others. Randy Kay, thanks very much. Absolutely. More now on the numbers. The city's reimposing restrictions and the governor's resistance to taking statewide action. Uh, joining us now, Dr. Eileen Marty. She's uh, infectious diseases specialist at Florida International University. Dr. Marty, great to have you on uh, tonight. S so, 
looking at Miami-Dade, uh, which is currently one of, the, one of the worst hit counties in Florida, you, you helped write the reopening rules. So, so in your view, what went wrong with reopening there? No, that you, you jumped right to a conclusion that isn't necessarily the case. We've analyzed, we've done the contact tracing, and we know that most of the outbreaks in Miami-Dade happened from family parties, from graduation parties, mm -hmm. from things that had nothing to do with businesses. So uh, the truth is, when we uh, got together, the mayor got us, there's five of us on his team, physicians, got us together last Friday to discuss Fourth of July. We unanimously uh, agreed with him to close the beaches because that's a site where family parties happen and people use, consume substances that can make them uh, less aware of what they're doing. Yep. Therefore, uh, it's a risk. So you're saying it's about personal choices people are making as opposed to things that, that are, fall under the rules regarding business opening, et cetera. So as, as you get into the July 4th weekend, how do you help ensure that people follow those recommendations? And so yesterday we had an emergency meeting as well uh, because our numbers continue to rise. We, we have um, yesterday 26% positive rate on our tests, which is completely unacceptable. Uh, we wanted yeah. to be below 10% in order to do this, but uh, we didn't get those kind of numbers. We're now at, at a very high, uh, over the last two weeks, we averaged 20 0.1% positive. That's just unacceptable. So uh, yeah. the mayor imposed a, a, a curfew. So you've heard the president and the vice president, frankly, uh, say that we're seeing an increase in cases in this country, including in states such as Florida, purely because we're testing more. It's not true, right? Because as you note, the positivity rate is going up. In other words, more people are testing positive, meaning more people are getting infected. Just as a doctor, explain why this is not just about more testing, it's about spread. If the spread were the same and we had more testing, we would not see an increase in the rate of positivity. The rate of positivity and the fact that we are uh, getting more and more patients to our ERs, admitted to the hospital, and now into our ICUs, this is completely and totally real. And so we are facing a true increase, and it has nothing to do with more testing. It has to do with an elevated reproductive number, and that's because mm. of people's behavior. And so we're fighting very yeah. hard to get the message to our population uh, so that they change their behavior and change it right away so that we don't have to go back into another lockdown. Okay, so we have a problem in this country, right? Because these health recommendations backed by science have become political, right? And you have a governor who's resisted, for instance, uh, I mean, he doubted some of the numbers and the science early on, but has resisted statewide, for instance, a mask requirement. From a public health perspective, purely, if you don't have that statewide, or even more broadly, national guidance and example setting, does it undermine your ability to encourage people to make those right choices themselves? Leadership is absolutely critical. The leaders have to understand the science themselves and acknowledge what's going on and do everything possible to get the population to help him or her accomplish the task of getting the virus out of our community. So 
the leadership has to recognize all the measures, all the public health measures done right and in coordination. So the six yeah. foot distance, the, the hygiene, uh, the all the various things that we know together with mm. proper targeted contact testing and tracing are absolutely imperative in order to get the virus out of the community. And that includes the use of masks, which absolutely unquestionably yeah. help reduce transmission. And the fact that they're not doing it is counterproductive to his own goal, yeah. which were mm. to improve the economic situation. It's completely counterproductive. That's the thing. It's a false choice between economy uh, and public health. Uh, Dr. Eileen Marty, uh, we know you got a lot of hard work to do. We wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. Just ahead this hour right now, live pictures of Air Force One as the president is heading to Mount Rushmore for the July 4th event there. That event, listen to what we've just been talking about. Uh, all this talk about social distancing, wearing masks, masks not required at that event? Social distancing not happening at that event. Uh, also concerns about the mix of fireworks there and the virus. Former superintendent of the National Park will explain why she's worried in particular. The president is now making his way to tonight's event at Mount Rushmore. These are live pictures of Air Force One uh, arriving at that event uh, tonight. Two public health concerns and both worry my next guest. Until last year, Cheryl Schreier had been superintendent of the Mount Rushmore National Memorial for nine years. She says that the thousands of people gathered from different parts of the country could conceivably turn the area into a hotspot for the virus, a hotspot. It's a concern not just for the attendees, but the National Park Service employees, volunteers and others who are making tonight possible. The other concern, serious as well, fireworks and the potential for forest fires, which prompted park officials to cancel all fireworks back in 2010. That rule apparently does not matter to the president. In the Washington Post, Schreier writes, in case of emergency, quote, evacuation of visitors could prove tremendously difficult. The anticipated traffic congestion and gridlock could last for hours before and after the event. And this year, resuming the fireworks demonstration is an even greater threat to both humans and nature. Thanks to an extremely dry summer, South Dakota faces a higher than usual risk of wildfires. Cheryl Schreier joins me now. Cheryl, thanks so much uh, for coming on tonight. First, let's talk about the COVID risk. We look at those live pictures of the event there tonight. There's no social distancing, as the governor said there would not be. Uh, a lot of people aren't wearing masks. Uh, tell us your concerns. I have many concerns, but certainly as it relates to coronavirus and the 7,500 people plus employees um, who are there uh, this evening with very little social distancing, if any, and not wearing masks, that we could definitely see uh, an increase in coronavirus. We live here in the Black Hills. We haven't had as many cases as other places, but this is just the type of event that could end up being one of those super spreaders. We've seen U.S. Secret Service agents who uh, did advance work and, and secured uh, president and vice presidential events in Arizona and Oklahoma test positive uh, for this virus. Some of them are getting sick of the virus. Tell us about the park employees who are taking part tonight. Uh, is this endangering them? I think it is. 
and certainly with all of the prep time, uh, spending time with all of the different people from many different agencies and not knowing whether or not someone has either tested positive for the coronavirus prior to coming to Mount Rushmore to help with the event, nor knowing whether or not after the event, whether or not we're going to actually be seeing those increase in cases. So the other risk uh, is, is that from the fireworks, uh, and there's a reason uh, that the park banned fireworks around there 10 years ago, yet tonight, I guess that rule is getting broken. Why the, why the particular concern uh, about, about that given the dry conditions around there and the risk of wildfire? Well, there certainly is a, a risk of wildfire, and knowing that the National Park Service has attempted to mitigate the risk as much as possible, but I understand that there are 10,000 fireworks that are going to be launched this evening, and one never knows with the wind direction, the embers that could fall into the forest, and Mount Rushmore is surrounded by national forest, that you could certainly have a fire start that would be very devastating to yeah. trying to evacuate yeah. um, all that, all the many people that are there this evening. The other is the uh, concern about the water quality and perchlorates, yeah. the chemicals in the fireworks. Um, are very dangerous chemicals, and they're found in the groundwater that is utilized by both the visitors and employees. Yeah. Well, like you said, there's a reason you banned them 10 years ago. That rule doesn't hold tonight. Cheryl Schreier, thanks very much. Thank you. And, ju and just ahead this hour, the president's re-election worries that undergird tonight's big spectacle at Mount Rushmore and the culture war strategy that he is diving into. Today, if you can believe it, we are exactly four months to Election Day. That's right, just four months away. A very small amount of time, politically speaking, for President Trump, particularly if he has more bad weeks like this one. On the rising coronavirus cases, he wouldn't even address the topic. On the economy, he claimed it was on the rebound. And while yesterday's job numbers were better than expected and good news, they may mask what many believe will be a lengthy recovery. And then there are the polls. The latest this week is from Monmouth University, which shows Biden with a 12-point lead, just the latest poll, to give the former vice president a double-digit lead over the president. Trump's strategy, an old one, go hard on the culture wars. In this case, he spent part of his week tweeting about Confederate generals, heritage, and ending housing regulations meant to benefit minorities, messages aimed directly at white voters. And tonight, he continues that theme. A campaign aide tells CNN the president will tell, quote, the truth about America's history. Be interesting to hear from him. Joining me now, David Gergen, a CNN senior political analyst and former advisor to just four presidents, and Bukhari Sellers, a CNN political commentator and former Democratic South Carolina House member. So, Bukhari Sellers, it appears we're going to see more. Oh, I should mention your book, My Vanishing, My Vanishing Country by Bukhari Sellers. Great book, also <laughs> relevant in the current conversation. The president's strategy, Bakari. We're going to see more, are we not? Not less of a divide and conquer strategy, are we not? Yeah, and Jim, I, I have to be mindful. I heard your introduction, and you know, Democrats, we we kind of drink our own Kool-Aid um, in 2016. Uh, the polls don't vote. Polls don't really matter. 
Um, Donald Trump was down. I'm somebody who got on national TV and sat on a panel with, with Anderson Cooper and everybody else and said that Hillary Clinton was going to get 330 electoral votes. I didn't know that 53% of white women were going to leave Hillary Clinton at the proverbial altar. I didn't know that, that black men, 13% uh, of them would vote for um, Donald Trump. And so by no means is Donald Trump out of this race. People still have to press forward. But you're right. This president is going to hearken and he's going to, to reach down and dig deep on something which is so true. I, mean, I think that we mis misled a lot of people talking about economic anxiety. There's, there's really no such thing as economic anxiety. What do we see in this, culture, in, in this country is cultural anxiety. And that cultural anxiety is something that Donald Trump's going to play on tonight because people feel, and there's a large swath of white voters who feel as if they're going to be replaced, not just in the economy, but in this country by brown people. And it terrifies them and it drives them to the polls. Yeah. And he's going to play on that. David, I wonder if you agree that that, that dominates, right, that, that, that fear uh, of having their culture wiped out, e even as the economy suffers here, you have 15 million uh, unemployed, you, you have 130,000 nearly dead from a pandemic, which the U.S. hasn't gotten a handle on. I mean, do, do you find the dynamic similar to 2016, maybe even more so in, for, from your perspective? I think that, the, that Joe Biden is in a much better position than Hillary Clinton was at this stage in the campaign. Uh, he's had a much sturdier set of arguments, and he's, you know, and, and Donald Trump uh, is, uh, I, I think, deteriorating as a candidate and as a president. Uh, I think what we're seeing tonight, Jim, is, is, is very important uh, because it may signal a new strategy for him. And on the, on the pandemic side, what we're hearing from the White House is uh, learn to live with it. That's the message to the country. Just learn to live mm -hmm. with it. We'll be yeah. okay. Mm -hmm. that, that's that, that's not a strategy. And that's a that that's a, an administration that's walking away from the problem, slinking away. I might add, after declaring war, the you know the captain leaves the field. Um, and you know, you look at those four faces on uh, Mount Rushmore. Uh, they were not perfect men, as we're learning. Bakari can tell us there were a lot of things we've learned about them, which say they were not perfect. Two were slave owners. Uh, one with, was involved in a, a mass execution. Um, but if you look at them with Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and Teddy Roosevelt, they to a person would have been appalled uh, by this spectacle uh, in, in, at, at Mount Rushmore tonight uh, that flies in the face of what the, what, a, what the public health officials have been arguing, stay apart, social distance, we just, CNN's reporting tonight, we, something we did not know, no. The chairs, when people sit down in the yeah. chairs there in, 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 in South Dakota, the, the chairs are all yeah. wired together. They get cheap yeah. by jowls. Think of that. I mean, I, yeah. that's got to be the craziest way to take it to social distance we can imagine. Yeah. I, listen, it contradicts the health advice of yeah. every doctor in this country. But, Bakari, I wonder... The president's intention clearly is to park himself in front of a national monument, talk about defending national monuments, perhaps even Confederate monuments. But, but is it possible to overestimate his political brilliance on this venue? Could, could he stand in front of those four presidents and, and appear diminished, uh, appear like a small man compared to those men? But the question is to whom? Right. And so mm -hmm. I think the answer to the question is yes to me and other Americans who have good common sense and who 
who believe that we deserve better than this. And, and this, is, this is borderline, and this is why I'm glad David is here, because Dev, David educates me on so, much, so many things. This is borderline on an issue that's not Democrat or Republican. This is right versus wrong. This is like common sense versus uh, <laughs> someone with no sense. And so when you look at the president tonight, you understand that the president's dose of psychopathy makes him believe that he deserves to be on Mount Rushmore. You do understand we're looking at a man who, who thinks he deserves to be up there with the other yeah. four gentlemen. Uh, Donald Trump is one of the worst presidents we've had in the history of this country. He's had over 100,000 people who died on his watch. We have million, tens of millions of Americans who are out of work, and tonight he's going to double down on what he knows best, which is cultural wars and which is racism. And so that is where we are. And, and, I, and, I, and Jim, you asked me a question that I can honestly tell the American public I do not know the answer to because, yes, as we go into Fourth of July, I recognize that there are 35% of the people in this country are still going to vote for a man we know to be racist, right? 35% of this country will still vote for that man, even as we go into the 4th of July and talk about freedom. Is that enough to be president of the United States for another four years? I think Joe Biden's in a much better position, but he has to get on his horse and he has to work extremely hard. Yep. David, is it possible we're seeing, though, the politics changing a bit? on COVID-19, and that you have, for instance, a Republican governor of Texas contradict the president on the necessity of masks, even as vice president, yeah. quietly yeah. in a very Mike Pence sort of way, but contradicting mm -hmm. the president as well. Other states moving towards reinstituting uh, their closure plans, stay-at-home orders. Is it possible that, that, that the politics indicate a greater willingness to defy yeah. the president? I, I think as the number of uh, cases goes up so dramatically, you know, it's up 90 percent over the last uh, 14 days, uh, which is sort of unbelievable. Uh, and, and as the president's poll numbers fall, what you're seeing now, Jim, is the dam starting to break. People who have had questions about Donald Trump are willing to become more verbal and open about those questions. People are skeptical or can express their skepticism. And that's why I think one of the reasons why I think the president is in some degree of free fall. And it is people are looking for other strategies to get out of this. They can't trust the president. But can I just add one postscript, Jim, which I think needs more attention on this South Dakota trip? You know, the, the, the attention we pay to indigenous people, to, to Native Americans, mm -hmm. is the inattention we pay and the, the willingness to continue being, you know, fairly hard, hard hearted. Uh, toward them, uh, this was this is a group of Lakotas who, you know, they, they they lost their territory after the after the Civil War was taken from them, and and then and then uh, uh, Mount Rushmore was was created. We love Mount Rushmore, but we ought to remember, especially today, and talking again with Kari, we really ought to remember the people, the people who have been marginalized, yeah. who have not well represented on July Fourth. It's a fair point. Ten percent of the residents of South Dakota with Native American ancestry. Uh, David Gergen, Bukhari Sellers, th thanks so much to both of you. Both of you, always good to have a conversation. Thank you. Up next this hour, something to bring a smile to your face tonight, a survivor's story. She is 102 years old, and she beat a lot of things, including coronavirus. Think about your home for a moment. It's where life happens. It's where you build that tree house or try that new recipe. It's where you rest and recharge, work and play. You expect a lot out of it. And that's why HomeAdvisor is committed to keeping your home up and running, no matter what. They match you with the best pros in your area, 
Pros who can get your home projects done right. From unexpected jobs like appliance repairs, clogged gutters, and leaky faucets, to projects you actually look forward to, like creating your very own backyard summer retreat or getting that new pool installed. Whatever it is, they're here to help. And the Home Advisor app makes it easy. Use it to book and pay for more than 100 projects with just a few taps. Plus, if you're looking for some local inspiration, you can see trending tasks in your neighborhood. So whether you need a last-minute fix, routine home maintenance, or an exciting new upgrade, HomeAdvisor is here, ready to do everything to fix your everything. Download the HomeAdvisor app and get started today. All right, something to smile about tonight. A 102-year-old New Hampshire woman can definitely be called a survivor. She beat the 1918 flu, cancer, and now the coronavirus. Here's Gary Tuckman with her story. We headed to New Hampshire to meet this remarkable woman who just recovered from the coronavirus. Do you feel lucky today? I always feel lucky. I never had any real problems in my life. Everything seemed to fall into place. An incredible attitude, considering all that has happened in the life of 102-year-old Jerry Chappelle. Julia Chappelle was her daughter. When her mother was a baby a little over 101 years ago. She had the, what we call the Spanish flu, which was the, uh, a huge pandemic during the First World War. That's right. Jerry Chappelle's family says she survived the influenza pandemic in the early 20th century and the coronavirus in the early 21st century. Back in 1918, little Jerry and her mother were both seriously ill. And the doctor told her father, they're both going to die. Prepare yourself, um, but that's my medical opinion. But daughter and mother survived. Jerry went to college, got a bachelor's and master's, became a teacher, and got married right after World War II. Her husband died almost four decades ago. But they had two children, and there are now three grandchildren and six great-grandchildren. After Jerry retired, she had breast cancer and colon cancer, and she beat both. Can I call you Jerry? Delighted. It's delightful to meet you. Thank you. How are you feeling? Wonderful. You're an amazing woman. Why? I'm going to tell you why. You're modest. But you had coronavirus, and 101 years ago, you had Spanish flu. <laughs> and you survived it twice. You're an amazing woman. I am. Jerry is a resident of the senior living community in Nashua for several years now. Hey, Mom. On this day, her daughter came to pay a visit. Social distancing and masks still required. So, how are you we have doing? To keep the mask on. Yes, we have to keep the mask oh. on. Yes. Do you recognize the top? You should. I stole it from you. Don't think you're getting it back. <laughs> the employees of her senior community were upset and saddened when Jerry tested positive for the coronavirus. But when they told her the diagnosis, she had an incredible attitude. And she, you know, took every day and said, I guess I'm sick. They told me I'm sick, but I'm not sick. But like the Spanish flu and the two bouts of cancer, 102-year-old Jerry Chappelle managed to fend off the coronavirus as well. Thank you for letting us meet you. <laughs> Thank you. My pleasure. Gary Tuckman, CNN, Nashua, New Hampshire. Good for her, good for her family. We wish her all the best. Coming up next, more details on how President Trump plans to stoke the culture wars in his speech tonight at Mount Rushmore. Look at the crowds there. No social distancing.